This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. This is a bonus series we are currently doing a Nutrition for Athletes series, and I'm really excited about this episode. This is the fifth of six episodes in this bonus series, and this is with Megan Featherston. Megan is another registered dietitian, and she is the founder and owner of Featherstone Nutrition. She works with athletes looking to reach their goals, and man, her Instagram is full of so much valuable information. If you are an athlete looking to reach your goals and want to make sure you are optimizing your nutrition and how you fuel your body on the run, uh, make sure you go follow her Instagram. It's Featherstone Nutrition. Megan is a 256 marathoner. Actually, this past year, this year at the Boston Marathon, she broke her 257 marathon PR that she had held for a little while. And in this episode, we talk about her own running a little bit. And then we also talk about her business and she gives us the lowdown on carb loading before a marathon. Now, Megan and I recorded this before I knew I was doing this nutrition for athlete series. So we focus a little bit more on her story than all things nutrition in this episode. So this is a more of a full picture story of Megan, her own running, her business, and then she gives us some really valuable information as well. Megan has her own podcast called Fuel for the Soul, so make sure you go check that out. So this episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker. I'm so grateful to have them on board for the podcast, and there's really no better fit than Inside Tracker for this series specifically. Inside Tracker was created by leading scientists in aging genetics, biometrics, and Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you are not. We put so much time and energy into running or whatever it is you personally are passionate about. And I just think to be able to know what your levels are, especially for your iron and things like that, it's key. So with Inside Tracker, they will take your blood panel and then they will give you those results and give you an ultra personalized performance system that analyzes all the data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and it will help you learn how to optimize your body and reach your goals. For a limited time, you can receive 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you go to insidetracker.com slash another. If you go to that exact landing page, that should automatically apply the 20%. If that's not working, just use the code another and that will get you 20% off. All right. Well, today on All Have Another Podcast, we have Megan Featherston on the show. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to a marathoner, a dietitian, and specifically someone who works with runners with their with their nutrition work. So let's dive in. You know, I think running was actually what got me excited about becoming a sports dietitian. I was working at a hospital 
obviously doing dietitian things, but I was feeding people through tubes and educating on heart healthy diets and all these things. So um, once I became a runner, I was like, wait, wait, there's a lot to learn that I don't know yet about nutrition. And I kind of just immersed myself in it. Okay. I have so many questions about this because um, people that have been listening to the podcast for a while probably know this because I've mentioned it a few times, but I actually went to school for dietetics. And I did not become a dietitian because my grades were really bad. I did not get an internship. You know, it's a whole long story. But, you know, for like two years of my life, I thought it was like the end of the world. Like, this is what I was meant to do. Um, But looking back and now what I do know about nutrition as not a dietitian, I just wonder your thoughts on like the standard education system for dietitians and, and, um, you know, kind of like old school dietitians in the hospitals and things like that. Like, what's your take on it now that, cause I feel like you're very much like in 2022, right. With the right. nutrition. So tell me your thoughts. Right. You know, I'm going to totally throw my dad under the bus here. He was a surgeon. And when I told him I wanted to be a dietitian, he was like, uh, yeah, probably not. Cause all he knew of a dietitian was exactly what you're talking about in a smaller hospital made like lunch trays for people. He's like, wait, wait, wait. Like, I think my daughter's smarter than this. You know what I mean? And I was like, no dad, like, this is what I really want to do. I'm really into nutrition and, you know, did the hospital route for a while. But, you know, to your point, I think it, it just like in any career, like you could take it whichever way you want. And as you so astutely noted, I love to continue to learn and to continue to keep up on research and understand what's happening and apply it and practice it and all that kind of stuff. So I think you're just able to kind of elevate your own career and education if you're interested in those types of things. So yeah, you're totally right. I very quickly left kind of the traditional dietitian setting and, um, you know, made my own business. <laughs> well, and and to be completely honest, like those like um, standard practices that you learn about of like how many carbs, how many calories a day, you know, all those calculators. It's like that is just for a um, like an average American human being. Like that's what you learn here. And it's like as marathoners, like our needs are just so, so different. hundred well, percent. Yeah. You can't even compare it. Mm-mm. Like sodium is such a good example. So, you know, we're always like, eat less sodium. Yeah. Less sodium. So I have these people coming to me thinking they're healthy, eating less sodium, and they're like bombing every long run because they need a ton of sodium because they're salty sweaters. So like, you're absolutely correct. Things are so different from a performance nutrition standpoint where we're trying to elevate performance versus like what you preach on like a daily general American. Because I would say like, us runners, like we're crazy. We're special. We're different than the average human when it comes to a lot of things. And nutrition is just such a good example of that. I don't think I've ever truly got my sodium intake like dialed in for the marathon. I really don't. I always think I'm like, oh, I'll catch up. And I know like the the standard protocol, like you need to eat every 40 minutes, like all the prep before. But like, I still think I don't do quite enough when I run a marathon. Mm -hmm. And I bet a lot of people are in that boat. Absolutely. There was two different marathons in Ohio this past weekend when it was like 75, 80 degrees out of nowhere. And my three athletes that were running them absolutely crushed it because we were able to adjust and to give them more sodium the night before, the morning of, during. And I was actually just talking to one of them and it's so hard to do this. Like I was so proud of her. I'm like, it took so much out of you to get 20 ounces of fluid an hour and two salt tabs and two gels. Like that's a lot of concentration in a race to your point. Um, But if we know what we need and we can adjust based on what the weather throws at us, it's just such a game changer for performance. 
that amount of fluid too, like the 16 to 20 ounces, like base or whatever. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever taken that much an hour. And I preach it to people I coach who run, but like, I don't think I've ever actually done it because I, I use the little cups. Mm -hmm. I'm getting like a swig. You know what I mean? Half is up your nose. The other half is down your neck. Yeah. It's It's so so hard hard to take those. One of the athletes I coach, I'm so proud of her. She is, she has worked with a sports dietitian and like really, really figured out her needs. And she does carry a handheld. She just ran a 341, which was a big PR for her um, in Boston. And I, I know that that having that nutrition dialed in there there's no way she wouldn't have like had some sort of cramp or stomach issue or something without that and she carries that handheld what do you say to people who like don't want to carry the handheld but like it's really hard to get um what you need out of those cups exactly i really try to get my runners to carry a handheld for the first half of okay. a race yeah and then just donate it to science. Um, okay. because it does make such a big difference. Like if we can stay hydrated that first half. So I had a group of 19 women that we did like a 12 week nutrition coaching program into Boston. So we all went there together and met up and oh, we've been I love working it. on it. I saw the things. picture. It was, it was amazing. Like it was, I knew it was going to be something special and really cool, but it like turned out to be even more amazing. But so we talked a lot in that group and we had people that you know, we're hesitant. And my big thing is like, you just have to have a plan. If you're adamant that you don't want to carry, then you've got to figure out how are you going to get enough? Are you going to power walk through the stations and catch it up to make sure you get enough fluid? Because to your point, I mean, it's just so hard to get enough in. Um, But most girls ended up carrying bottles. And we had seven people PR there that day, which as you know, on Boston's course, it's hard. So, you know, I think if you're willing to change your ways a little bit, you know, it can make just such a difference in performance. What does Megan do? Megan Murray are like our friend. Both of us are friends with her. And she yep. just, by the way, friends, um, I had Megan on the podcast right after she had broke three hours officially for the first time. And she just went to Boston and ran a 248. So like girlfriend is on a like she's just tearing it up. So does she carry a handheld at the beginning? So she is a perfect example. So to your point, let's talk about her for a minute. She PR'd at a 2.52 five months ago on a flat course and just ripped off a four-minute PR in Boston on a hilly course on a fairly warm day. I know not warm for Boston, but for us training through the cold, like it was not an awesome, you know, weather experience. But um, she carried a bottle, a 20-ounce bottle for the first half, and then she tossed it. And she said that's the first time that that's ever gone, like, successfully. Her last marathon, she had a bottle and it, like, got messed up. So she chucked it. So she didn't end up taking it. And then also she got all five of her gels in. And at the times we talked about like strategically so that she had the nutrition when she hit the Hills and she was like, you know, this was obviously a huge piece. I mean, she's ripping off like 603 pace, like (laughs) coming out of those Newton Hills. And I'm just like, Oh my, like she's a machine. And, you know, obviously some of those tweaks and changes with her nutrition are a piece of, you know, that success. Her story is so inspiring because you hear about people trying to break three hours in the marathon. That's like such a like golden goal. Like so many people want that. And she just tried for a very long time. And it would be so easy to just be like, maybe it's not for me. But then once she did it, and I think you see this a lot because once you like mentally break the barrier too, and of course you have the nutrition and all those other things figured out, like it's just not as like scary. Like I just talked to, um, I talked to somebody about this with breaking 130 for the half. She was like, once it was like such a barrier for me, but like once I did it, like it wasn't scary anymore. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's, it's so crazy. So did her bottle um, for that first half, how much was in it? Was it in, did she also have to take cups though? Because it's like a 20 ounce bottle probably wouldn't be enough. Yeah. So she had scratch in a 20 ounce bottle. Um, and then, so typically what I do with folks is try to get them to like hyperhydrate. So hang on to extra sodium and fluid the night before the race. So she had done that. So I knew she had extra fluid on board and I knew what her time goal was. So I was like, if you get that 20 ounces in by the half, for the second half, I want you to take fluid based on how you feel. Okay. She's an experienced enough runner that I knew she would take it if she needed it. But if she could just buzz by some of those stops and felt confident that she'd be okay. I'm like, I think that's going to save you kind of the, the dodging and the extra, you know, tangents addition. Um, so I'm not sure what she ended up doing fluid wise in that second half. I didn't ask her. Well, that's so smart. It's like, it's it's the same thing as not going out too hard in a marathon. Like you like all those decisions you make early on, even really fast runners make those. It's it's always interesting to me when like an elite runner makes those nutrition mistakes like in the first half of the marathon. Like, oh, I wasn't hungry yet. I didn't you know, I didn't think I needed this yet. And it's just like that will make or break your race. Right. I love when people come to me that are doing really dumb things. Like they're, they're sometimes they're embarrassed to tell me. I'm like, no, 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 no. Put it all out on yeah. the table because that's how much more room we have for success. If you're doing all this stuff, not quite right yet. Um, you know, it's just, I get all excited. Like if we change this, just think how much better you could be. Yeah. I have a friend who, well, he's, um, he's a doctor now. And I like, I think like school and stuff got like really, he got really immersed in that, but he still runs a lot. But, um, I think he ran his first marathon in like 227. Like he's really, really fast. But that was like bonking for him because he didn't take nutrition in like the whole first half of the race because he just like didn't feel like he needed it. And he's an ultra runner. So like he's used to running really far and not having much fuel. But when you're trying to run a marathon really fast, like you got to do it. Different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You need a lot more carbs when we're trying to run fast versus those like slow, sustainable paces. Yeah. So do you yeah. like you mentioned Megan uses scratch. Do you typically um, prescribe scratch or Morton or is there like a certain brand that you love most? So personally, I like Scratch and Morton the most. That's kind of my magical combination. But there's so many awesome options out there. A lot of times, I don't necessarily tell people exactly what to do. I kind of take inventory of what are you doing and is it working? And if it is and you like the products, we're going to figure out how to make it work with that. Um, But a lot of times people are like, I I don't know what works. So we like tinker with finding what that is for sure. Um, Okay, so we have more nutrition stuff to talk about. But in my email to you, I was like, we're going to talk about your running story, too. And I knew as soon as I started like talking about fueling and things like that, it would just, you know, fly everywhere. So um, we'll revisit it. But I do want to talk about your running story a little bit. You just had a a little baby PR in Boston. You broke what you broke 257 for the first time. So you were at 256, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. so tell us your story. Like, when did you start marathoning? What did you run your first marathon in? And like, you've been kind of trying to crack that 257 for a little bit, right? Yes, I have. I have, which is wild and, you know, so humbling in so many ways. But I was, um, you know, in high school, like I was never the runner, but I showed up because I wanted to play um, field hockey, which I'm 5'11". I don't know why I thought I needed to play field hockey because that was not the most epic choice. Um, but anyways, I showed up. I'd never held a field hockey stick in my life and they had us hop on the track and do two miles. I also never ran. I was scared to death of the track and I hopped out there and I finished second out of the whole crew. And she was like, you make varsity. You can run. 
And I was like, I've never touched like a stick in my life. What do you mean I make varsity? She's like, we need some runners on the team. So then of course, like the track coach is like, Megan, come play track. And I'm like, no, I want to play lacrosse. I only run if I'm chasing a ball, you know? So that was kind of how my running started. Like I loved sports and I was always like the midfielder. I was always the one doing the running, but I only ran if I was chasing a ball, you know? So um, it wasn't until actually after grad school, I think I was 25, um, I just missed competition and I missed sports and I missed pushing my body and setting goals and just felt kind of stagnant. And um, I had a friend who was running the Cleveland Marathon um, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll start training. I didn't even have winter running gear. Like I was trying my roommate who didn't run was like throwing like an Under Armour zip up at me as I'm running out the door, like, <laughs> make sure you have clothes on, you know, Um so trained for that kind of on my own. I think I used like a Hal Higdon plan. Um, oh, good old Hal Higdon. About, right? Well, that's, I mean, that's like the standard go-to for the first yeah. marathon. Yeah. I don't even, I couldn't even tell you like what my weekly mileage was. I'm sure I have it in the house saved somewhere, but um, I ran the Cleveland Marathon and I ran a 358.50 something. So like just broke four hours. Um, swore I would never do it again. I was like, people do this for fun. I'd never run a road race in my life. Like I hadn't run a half yet or a 5k. So when I hit the half mark, I was like, Oh my God, if I would have run a half, I would have never done a full, mm -hmm. you know, it's probably better for me that I had done it all. Cause I don't know that I would have ever chose to run more. Cause it was just so daunting. But, um, I still remember when I crossed the finish line, I had a friend who was a phenomenal runner in high school and college. And I remember he said to me, Megan, like 15 more minutes and you can run Boston. And I remember being like, wait a minute, he believes in me. Like he thinks that I could run faster. And I just remember like his voice was in there and I was like, well, guess I better try again. <laughs> and you did. I did. When did, did you, how long did you wait? Um, actually, I think I ran Columbus in that fall. So okay. I think I waited, like, I think I hopped right back into training and ran Columbus in the fall and missed a BQ by like two minutes. Okay. So I took like 15 minutes off my time. Um, and then the following spring ran Cleveland again and got my BQ there. And then I think ran Boston in 2011 was the first time I ran it. Okay. And that was like a 328, I think, or something around there that I finished Boston in. Which yeah. is really fast for your first Boston if you're like mm -hmm. qualifying by not a ton. Because mm -hmm. usually mm -hmm. I feel like if you qualify by a little bit, you run your first Boston you, a lot of people don't run it much faster than what they qualified yeah. in because the course is just so like weird. Right. I think I'm, I'm thinking now you're saying that I think I PR by like nine minutes. Oh, that's Boston. big. Yeah. Everybody was telling me you're not going to PR there. And I'm like, tell me I'm not going to do something. And I will like, that's, that's the, you know, that get, really gets me heated up as if you tell me I can't. So. Oh, same. I remember when I talked about starting this podcast and someone was like telling me how hard it would be to like get listeners and all these things. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, like it's like that fuel, that one comment by one person really fueled me to like be like, no, I'm going to make this happen. We need it. the doubters. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. I'm the same way. Um, That's cool that you broke uh 3.30 for the first time because it's like, you know, we talk about breaking three hours, but like breaking 3.30, it's like those like half hour marks or 15 minute marks are mm -hmm. like big or even 10 minute marks, you know, like for me, I want to break 3.10, you know, it's like those yeah. are the big um big things to to hit you know it's you mentioned that you don't remember what you were running like training mileage wise your first marathon and I I truly think the reason I qualified for Boston on my first marathon is because I like didn't have a GPS watch 
I had like a Timex watch. This was 2008. And I would just be like, well, we're supposed to run 10 miles on Wednesday. Um, We'll just run for an hour and 40 minutes. So like looking back, I'm like, I was probably running like 12 miles. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was probably running so much further than I realized. And, and I felt good. But I think so much of it was that like I wasn't obsessing over like, you know, the exact mileage and things like that. And sometimes I think that our obsession over the GPS watch and like exactly what splits we're running, you know, like I would be like, okay, I'm doing half mile repeats. I'll just run those like, I'll just run hard for like, you know, three and a half minutes or something like that. And sometimes we just like obsess over specific times and specific distances that it like totally clouds our, like what our real goal really is. Right. And I mean, Matt, my run was my best friend with my Timex watch. Yep, I'd come yep. home and map where I'd been and like be like, oh, I guess that was 15 miles. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so the good old map days. my run. <laughs> I think I would only end up using that on like the long runs. And yeah, I, I do remember doing that, being like, did we turn on this road or this road? Listen, you're not an OG unless you remember the Daily Mile and Map My Run. This is pre-Strava, friends. I love it so much. So, so much. Very much dates us when we started running. What year did you run your first marathon? It was 2009. Oh, so you're just like right there with me. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Totally. Um, this is so great. When did you break three hours for the first time? So it wasn't until after I had kids. Okay. So my fastest marathon before kids was 315. Okay. Um, and I took some time off to have the two kids. I knew I wanted them pretty close together. So I was like, we're just getting this out Knock of the way. Knock this out. The kids. I'm not trying to run a marathon between. I got back in shape and was ready to like PR a half marathon. And like two days before the race found out I was pregnant. And I'm like, eh, yeah, I don't really feel like running, you know. Anyway, so I bailed on that. But um. So I had gotten kind of back into shape before the second pregnancy and stuff. But um, yeah, it wasn't until after. And I had decided like sleep deprivation, as you know, is just brutal with kids. It's the worst. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. I really think it is. Right. It's some sort of like torture strategy that someone should use if they need it. But um, (laughs) (laughs) so I told myself I was not allowed to train for a full marathon until my daughter was one. Mm -hmm. So that way I had like a two and a half year old and a one year old. And I was like that's that I'm allowed to then. So that's what I did. And I ran, I was only running three days a week because I've had, I had some foot surgery in there too. Um, and I was like, just didn't think I could tolerate more than three days a week. So I went and ran, had no idea what I was really capable of. Didn't have a coach or anything. And I pulled off a three Oh three running. three Damn. days. A week. Whoa. After what kind of cross training were you doing? I biked a lot, but I, and I was just like, holy crap. Like my goal was to get back to Boston after kids, but I was like, wow, I'm a lot faster. Screw Boston. I want to break three, <laughs> you know? So very quickly like that shifted after kids. Um, and I didn't want to go to Boston right away. Cause you guys know the course is so hard. Everyone told me it's hard to break three at Boston. Even last weekend when we were in Boston, people were asking me my goal and I would tell them and they'd be like, Ooh, it's hard to break three at Boston. I'm like, that's actually not a helpful comment, but thank you. Don't say that. Or no, I'll prove that again. I'll prove you wrong. Again, I'll show you. No, I'm kidding. Um, so I, yeah, so that's when I started chasing like the sub three marathon was once I was just kind of shocked. I really, that wasn't really a thought until I did that three Oh three kind of do our earlier conversation. Um, maybe don't believe you have it until you get kind of close. And then it's like, Ooh, that's enticing. Um, what year was that? That What year was that? Someone was born in 2000. It must've been fall of 2012. Okay. 
Oh, that's not right. It was the fall of 2017. Yeah. Sorry. I was. I thought 2012 sounded like a very long time yeah, ago. No, that was not right. <laughs> well, and also I was like, I feel like her kids are younger than that. Yeah. <laughs> what year were your children born? Right. I don't even know anymore. I know. <laughs> I, know. I get mine confused all the time. Um, well, it's my oldest is 2012, and then my second's 2015 because he's like January birthday, but they're really not that far apart. And yeah. then we go 2015, 2016, 2018. So the middle two seem so close, but they're really yeah. the same distance as the, the last two. How yeah. old are your kids? They're four and six. They were 2015, 2017. So okay. actually, I'm totally wrong. I must have ran that in the fall of 2018. Okay. Yes, that's the correct answer. Okay. That was the zero three. <laughs> so your kids are the same, similar ages as my, my middles. Yeah. Yes. So when you did the three days a week in cross training, because like I did run fast, run, run less, run faster one time. And it was like, I totally bombed it because I literally like did none of the cross training. <laughs> um, so if you do that, like I always say, like if you're injury prone, like the three to four days a week running is like really great, but you do have to truly be committed to that cross training. What plan did you use? I just went to some spin classes and rode really hard. Yeah. You know, like I honestly, there really wasn't, it was like two, two one hour spin classes a week that I would do. And then we have an elliptico. So I would use that on like Sunday. So okay. I had like three days of cross training, three days of running. Do you love the elliptical? Do you still still use it, the elliptico? I do. I actually do. I look like a total fool on it because I'm so tall and it's so far off the That's ground. Awesome. Everybody stares when I use it, but it's a great workout. <laughs> How often do you use it? I don't use it enough. I really don't. I, I broke it out last weekend because it was nice, but that was the first time I'd been on it in probably eight months. <laughs> I, I don't, I've never used one, but I don't ever, I've never seen anybody like around where I live using one. And I feel like I would feel very embarrassed on it. <laughs> oh, people stare. And then you have a helmet. Like it, it's just, yeah. The it's whole not thing. Like, attractive. Yeah, <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk about, you, you got hung up on 256 for a while and, or sorry, 257. And then you just broke the 256. What do you think was standing in your way there? Like just like different day, like, you know, marathons, it's like sometimes like it's just not your day. And that's annoying about the marathon because you put 16 weeks of training in and then like right. just things are off. But like what was, right. how many times did you run that 257? I ran two 257 okay. um, before this. One at Indy, which we all know is a very flat, cool weathered course. Um, and I was actually shocked that I ran 257. I was going for a 259.59. You just like day, wanted to so. break three. Oh yeah. That was the goal. And I was actually shocked that I broke it by as much as I did. Um, but to be completely transparent, like I had probably like an eight mile segment in there that I don't remember. Like I was pushing hard, right? Like it was one of those races that like you were all probably, in. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever raced that hard again. Um, so then I got into better shape and ran wine glass and I was like, I know I can do faster. You know, I know I can do better than this um, and got out there and it was rainy and shoes got soggy and I was alone the whole time until like the very last 10K and it was just hard. Like mentally it was hard. I felt better shape physically. Mm -hmm. I never had that moment where I felt like I was like pushing too hard, you know, like I did at Indy. So like I could tell my fitness was getting better, but like the race times weren't changing, <laughs> you know? So I finished like a seven second PR. Seven seconds. To wine yeah. Glass. yeah, seven seconds. I didn't even know what I crossed. I was like, I don't even remember the you know, seconds on my times to even know if it was a PR. I had to like look it up. Um, so then at Boston, I'm like, I have got 
to be 257. My training cycle went so much better than the past. I felt like I was in the best shape of my life. I thought I could do way better than 257. Um, and then, I mean, anybody who follows me on Instagram knows, like, it was a really busy weekend before uh, before the marathon. We had that nutrition group of mine. I took my whole family. We had the bagel run with ASICs and Believe in the Run. I mean, it was nuts. So I think I very much strained myself before the race actually got there. Um, so Boston felt hard. Like, it was one of those ones where every mile was a fight. Like, stay in this, keep in this, you're okay, keep going. And um, had some phenomenal support throughout the race. I had, like, a friend's best friend run up on me. I was having all these fist bumps to carb loading while we were out there. You know, like, oh, it was I love amazing. It. it was so cool. There were so many amazing people in the race that, like, got me out of my head. And I have to apologize to anybody who's like, how are you feeling? I was like, I feel awful today. Like, <laughs> I'm not that bright, chipper, like, <laughs> encouraging person out there. So I apologize if you heard me say that. Um <laughs> But to answer your question, once we got on Hereford and we're making that lap down Boylston, I glanced at my watch and I glanced, you know how long that stretch is. It's a very long stretch. I was like, Megan, I bet if you sprint, I bet if you sprint, you can make it under 257. But like, this is going to be close, right? So I literally took off. There's there's photos on Boylston Street of me. I look like I'm stroking out. They are so <laughs> hideous. Like, I don't know how I was trying to breathe. There, Obviously, I was like really all out here to try to get this cross the finish line, stop my watch. And it says two fifty seven Oh three. No. Like, okay. I was like, I think I started it on the first mat. You know how there's like multiple yeah. mats going downhill when you start Boston. So I was like, I think I have at least a second there. And I knew I didn't stop it till I was past the photographers. Sure. I hate when people like, you yeah, know, you don't want their picture to be you looking at your watch. Right. So I was like, oh, wait, I think I might have gotten it, right? So, you know, as soon as I'm over, I'm like, what was my time? And my husband was like, uh, hold on. He pulls up the app. He's like, eh, your app crashed. So I, people like thought I like, passed out because like, uh. quit tracking me. And he's he's tracking along with me through the line. So I'm getting water. And he goes, wait, it updated. 257.17. And I literally just like, oh, just like felt like I was melting. I was like, how's that possible? That's even more than my watch. And, you know, instead of being like, oh, yeah, Megan, you broke three at Boston. I was like finding myself like, oh, you know, like all Eeyore. And then I was actually talking to Megan Murray on the phone when this happened. It, it updated. Like I was telling her I was a, you know, 257, three trick pony. Like <laughs> I want to get like, why is this the right number? Um Again, not a big deal. Breaking three of Boston is phenomenal. Sure. Um, and then my husband was like, wait, wait, it updated again. He was like, 256.56, Megan. And you would have thought, like, <laughs> it was, I was so excited. I was so stinking excited, you know, four seconds under, you know, but uh, it's crazy. We're nuts. It's crazy. The How did that <laughs> happen, though? Like, why did it say 257.17 in the first place? No clue. No clue. It was very confusing. So it was very much an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, because I've never, I've never had that happen. Like that's so weird. I know. A, a lot of people were saying they were having trouble. Like the tracker kind of like malfunctioned that okay. last. Because there's a mat on Hereford, and then there's a mat like partially down Boylston. I don't know if it's maybe right at 26 miles or what it is. Um, but between those three mats, seem to be doing something funky for a lot of people on the tracker. So, isn't know. it crazy how much we rely on that? Like. Yeah. And like, it's, you know, what, like, what if your chip fell, like, what if your bib fell, something fell off your bib or whatever, and it wasn't there. And like, like, could I actually officially say this is what I ran in Boston? Like, I guess, you know, at this point, they have like technology to see like the cameras when you cross the finish line and stuff. So they could probably 
manufacture that like you know into the results but it's crazy how much it like relies on we rely on that yeah yeah I totally agree I I once ran a marathon that had um no no chips it was a tiny marathon it was called the piney point marathon in Maryland I don't know if anybody listening has ran it um but it is I'm there I got third place. That's how small it was. Um, There was like 150 people running, I think. And um, Glenn, my husband, was trying to qualify for Boston for the first time. And like we were like, you have to get right on the line, you know, because like it's it's when you cross the line, like they had someone like ticking off like the exact times. And he ended up running 305. And it was before they changed the standard from 310 to 305. So he was in by a lot. Yeah. Aren't males three hours now, though? Yeah. Yeah. Under 40. They've moved it twice. Yeah, they've moved it twice. Because I always say this. Disclaimer, when I qualified for Boston on my first marathon, the time was 340. Same with me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, I didn't run the 330, 335. Is it 330 or 335 now for under 35? 330. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, I didn't run that. And I ran 339.52. And I actually think back then... You even had like the whole minute after 340. So like I think you could have run 340.59. I could I be wrong right. though. And then remember like I think it was up until 2011, you anyone could register and whoever registered first got in. Yeah. So I was like waiting at work to read, and that was the year it crashed. And then I think they changed it. So like same thing. I think I only qualified by like two minutes. There was like no like you qualified by this much yeah. and it wasn't. Yeah, it was just like it's a totally different culture now. I remember sitting on that bus like um, and just feeling like such a little, you know, little fish in a big pond and all these people that, you know, are big time dorky marathoners have been running forever. And this lady on the bus next to me being like, oh, yeah, I run every day. And like, I don't know, everybody just seemed so much more like advanced. (laughs) I felt the same way on my first one. Absolutely. I totally agree. I felt like I wasn't quite worthy of being there. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that part of the shift in running culture, though, and I hope this is true. I think it feels more welcoming now. 100%. And I think it's social media because everybody can find their support in their niche. And I think we all appreciate, I mean, there's no one more supportive than the running community. I think we all appreciate the work that it takes to do what we're doing. And it's like, we just all love each other to freaking death. And, you know, with that support comes kind of normalcy of all paces, all bodies, all sizes. Do you know what I mean? Like we're all after the same goals. So I think it kind of just normalizes it all so that everybody just feels included now versus us having preconceived notions of like who runs the Boston Marathon or who can finish a marathon, you know. So, yeah, I mean, there was no social media then. I mean, I think maybe was there Twitter? I don't know. Facebook. But there was no like running culture on social media. So there was no connecting with people. And it just, to me, it just seemed like a bunch of old school runners who like really knew their shit, like knew oh. what they were doing. Like Hal Higdon. Yes. Three plans on it the was internet. like us and Hal Higdon out there. It was like us, Hal Higdon, Jeff Galloway, you know, it's all those like old school guys. Shout, shout out to Nancy Clark, the original running sports dietitian. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> This episode of All Have Another Podcast is supported by Athletic Greens. I've seen a lot of information about Athletic Greens over the years, and I finally have dove in and tried it myself and am loving it. I wake up in the morning and I mix it with eight ounces of water, 
which I was drinking water in the morning anyway before my coffee. So that's how I have my water now. I have Athletic Greens water. The biggest difference I have noticed is my energy earlier in the morning, which is great because I like to wake up and be awake for about two hours before I go on my run. This morning that meant waking up at five, taking my Athletic Greens, about 45 minutes later, having some coffee and then going for a run at seven. Athletic Greens will help with gut health, help with energy levels and optimize your immune system. It's kind of like an all in one fix. With 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself. And it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, friends, back to the show. Um, Okay, so you mentioned, you know, getting fist bumps for the carb loading on the Boston Marathon course. And, you know, you you steer me in a different direction if I'm wrong, but I kind of feel like you boomed on on Instagram with your carb loading talk and like the, the information you share on that. And, you know, when I had Megan Murray on the podcast, we talked a lot about how she wasn't eating enough carbs before and and this whole carb loading situation um, before the marathon. So talk about your love for carbs and um, how we should be viewing them. So the funniest thing ever, when I became a sports dietitian, never in my life did I think I'd be trying to convince people they needed to eat carbs. Right. Like if you ask me nine years ago when I became a sports dietitian, what will you be doing over the next few years? <laughs> never, ever would I have said begging people to eat more carbs. Um, but I think because of so much of the diet culture that's out there, so many people have, are so fearful of certain foods and carbs seems to be one of them. Um, And it's just unequivocal when you look at the research, if we're trying to perform at our highest level for as long as possible, AKA a marathon distance, we burn like 75% of our energy is coming from carbs. So if we don't have enough carbohydrates on board, we can't expect our body to be able to perform at that level for the entire race. Like that's why people hit the wall. That's why we bonk. Of course, pacing has, you know, a piece in there too, but a lot of times it's nutrition. Um, so because we have like that limited store of storage form of carbohydrates in our body, we have to make sure that it's like locked and loaded for race day because after, you know, weeks and weeks of training, the likelihood of our glycogen stores actually being stocked is like very, very minimal. I could probably count on one hand the number of clients that I think had a decent, you know, glycogen storage before a carb load, truthfully, because it's just so depleting when we train. So what ends up happening is we need to take like a structured approach to eating enough carbs for those three days before the race. Um, And honestly, you know, it's funny that you say it boomed with the carb load guide. Honestly, that came out of like me at like a pleading necessity of you guys. This is the easiest thing in the world to do. Eat more carbs, but no one's doing it. Like no one was carb loading. And there it's so much research out there for years to prove how much this can improve performance over 
a PR marathon distance, um, you know, if we're running for fun, our fuel usage is a little different, right? But if we're really trying to get after a PR, it's just like dumb not to do this. So I was like, I'm putting a guide out to see if I can get people to try this, to do this. And to your point, people were like, oh gosh, yeah, I can do this. And then just the testimonials just came rolling in on Instagram. I tried people I didn't even know, you know, I tried it and it worked. My husband tried it. You know, we all did this. We're all eating bagels now, you know? So I think, you know, it's really fun and, and a challenge for me too to try to figure out how to motivate people to look at nutrition differently. Like we're so used to thinking about eating less and, you know, eating less carbs and, you know, not focusing on maybe the right things for performance. So, um, you know, I kind of take it as a challenge to help people change that mentality to figure out like, what does this look like so that we can perform our best? Okay. So I have some personal questions regarding that because I feel like I'm in generally a very high carb person. I don't eat meat and I probably don't know. I don't know if I get enough protein, really. I don't pay a lot of attention to uh, what I put into my body other than like, I know I want to eat nutritious food. I know I want to feel balanced and, you know, so I like take a very like not obsess over it approach, but like I'm mindful, right? So whenever I've thought about carb loading, I'm always like, I'm so carby every day. I mean, honestly, I think that's why I have a little bit of like a lower belly and I'm not saying that to slam myself. I've had four kids, like whatever. And my husband's always like, well, if you want to get rid of it, you got to eat less carbs. And I'm like, I know, but you know, all the things. Um, I don't want to obsess over nutrition because I really want to keep a healthy relationship with food that I have. So I'm curious as someone who thinks that they eat a pretty high carby diet anyway, like what does carb loading for a marathon look like when you feel like you already eat pretty high carb? So that's a good question. And I think a lot of people have a similar question or maybe they're unsure of how far they are from where they're supposed to be. So we put a calculator up on the website so that you can plug in your stats and it'll spit out to you how many grams of carbs you would have to eat to carb load, okay. which I don't expect anyone to know what that means from a grams of carbs standpoint. But then in the guide, it breaks it down for you. So I have people like, look at it by like 50 gram increments. So like if you need to eat 500 grams of carbs to carb load, you need 10, 10 servings of this. And it's all outlined in the, in the guide. So what you would do is you would get in there and look at that and kind of compare that. Like, all right, she wants me to eat two bagels, two cups of pasta, two cups of, you know, whatever it is and compare that to where you're at. And maybe it's not that far off. I mean, to your point, I've had a handful of people be like, wait, what if this is how I normally eat? I'm like, awesome. <laughs> I'm, a fr- I'm actually kind of scared that's what's going to happen. Yeah. But honestly, I think that's great. But and, and truthfully, the dichotomy of how much more we have to eat to carb load on what we're doing just sheds light on the fact that so many runners aren't eating adequately to support their training, right? So that discrepancy, that means more to me than someone like you or some of these other folks coming to me saying like, I'm already almost eating like this. I'm like phenomenal. Like, I love it, right? You know, I don't think that means you need to change what you're doing unless you don't feel good doing it. Would you add more though? Like more than they're already doing if they're already sustaining that? I, I wouldn't okay. No. Like when you look at research and we look at how much it takes to stock those glycogen stores, I would say that you're probably just walking around with a better stocked glycogen okay. tank, which is a very good thing for training, truthfully. I love that. Okay. I, I do want to use the calculator and see, and I'm sure that 
some days I'm heavier than other days. Like I'm the kind of person that like if I want a bagel for dinner or whatever, like that's what I'm eating for dinner. Like I don't, you know, overthink it. And I think there is something to be said for that. Like, you know, the reason I've never done any kind of like diet culture stuff is because and as runners, we probably shouldn't. But it's because I don't want to ever obsess over what I'm eating. So I always feel like if this is a slippery slope, right? But like you were saying, if we truly want to fuel for performance, not just like running marathons for fun, like it's such a big factor. We need to think about it. Right, right. And to your point, I I am very aware of how that can be a slippery slope. So the way that I approach it with people is always understanding that and making sure that we're meeting people where they are and mm. only using the tools that are helpful, right? I'm very aware of the tools that cannot be helpful. Sure. We don't touch those with anybody, you know, and then we even scale things differently for people that might already be feeling a little dicey with things. Um, and, you know, to that point, sometimes we have to hyper-focus in on nutrition for a little bit. Like you're saying, for example, like, I don't think I'm getting enough protein. Maybe we would have to hyper-focus a little bit on that and educate a little bit about those needs, which might mean how many grams do we need here? In there, but the goal would be to hyper focus for two weeks till we get it, and then we can sit back and not have to and just be able to support it a little different. So, you know, that's usually kind of my approach from that standpoint. Um, let's talk about cramping. I know that's a big issue for a lot of runners. Like, you, I'm actually coaching an athlete right now, we are trying so hard to dial in on her um, sodium because. She gets leg cramps and like we really, and she's a very heavy, salty sweater. And so we're really trying to like get that dialed in. Um, why do we get leg cramps or cramps elsewhere when our electrolytes are off? So our muscles can't contract quite right when, when our electrolyte levels start to drop. So that's probably the biggest reason that we see leg cramps from lack of sodium. And that's the electrolyte that's going to cause it. Like we lose in sweat, we lose more sodium than anything else. Like, yes, we lose some potassium. Yes, we lose some calcium, that kind of stuff, but it's not meaningful enough to cause issues like sodium is right. So that's a piece of it. And then also the dehydration piece of it, like our, our muscles just don't contract quite right. So if some of us are more prone to getting muscle cramps from sodium loss, whereas some of us are more prone to GI issues from sodium loss. So we usually see one of those two things manifest when we're a really heavy, salty sweater. Um, so it's just kind of tackling, like, how do we get enough sodium in? Because to your point, like, there's different tests you can do to see this sweat composition. So I often put, have athletes do it. It's a, I use a company called Levelin out of uh, Pennsylvania, but I have had some guys that are losing four to 5,000 milligrams of sodium wow. an hour. That's just impossible to keep up with, right? And it's like, no wonder you're having issues, you know? And if we can figure that out, if we can get some more sodium in your daily diet and then a really high sodium product or sodium supplements per hour when you're running, we can totally mitigate it. Like I've had huge success with different people um, and their running performance, but it can be really hard. Yeah. So if someone's like crazy salty sweater and it's, you know, like the amount that you were mentioning is just, that's wild. Um, and they're taking like their nutrition in every 40 minutes or whatever, um, for the marathon, a lot of these products aren't going to be sufficient. Do you prescribe, um, prescribe whatever you want to call it, um, salt tabs to people? 
I do. Yeah. I do. And I like the ones that are like the capsules. Yeah. Because the chews have like minimal sodium. Okay. It's like a drop in the, it's not even worth it. So yeah, I'll do like the salt tabs. I often have them take like two or three an hour for some of these people. And then Scratch makes a couple products that are like double and quadruple the sodium as like a normal product. So a lot of times I'll have people use something like that too, if we need it. Um, the one person I'm thinking of, we had him using Scratch Wellness, which is 800 milligrams of sodium plus a salt tab every single hour okay. for the marathon. So he was getting like a thousand milligrams plus his gels. I think he was getting more like 1500 and he was able to take like 40 minutes off his marathon time. Wow. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's crazy. I think Gatorade has a sweat patch now too mm-hmm. that they're doing. They do. And I tried it and I, I just didn't love, I don't know. I need to try it again. I need to give it another shot. But if you like the, what you're using. Yeah. It's just more accessible to be able to use like a patch for people. You know what I mean? Versus like a lab test. And like, but... it, like less expensive probably. And yeah, no, I totally. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So last nutrition question, then we'll wrap up with end of podcast question. Um, Do you have people like, you know, we talked about the sensitivity of like, you know, having a healthy relationship with food and everything, but like, do you have people like pay attention to what their caloric needs are on a day-to-day basis for someone just like training for a marathon? I don't have people track calories. No. Um, Do I calculate it and share it with them if they want it? Absolutely. Because sometimes I think it's an eye opener for people and it can be really helpful just to like start to recondition our thoughts of what our body actually needs for the, you know, work we're expecting of it. Cause I think there's some disconnect there for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I don't ever track to it. Like I try to track towards behaviors, timing, meal composition, and really focus on some of those different things that are more sustainable in the long term. Cause I personally have just not found like calorie counting to be sustainable for anyone. <laughs> um, and it ne- doesn't always like target the right behaviors. So as an example, like I have a lot of people that are, have been calorie counting and they save nutrition for the end of the day. Cause you see that number tick down mm-hmm. and you save and you save, and then we're under fueling yep. when we need it most around our run. So it's like, it's not supporting the type of behaviors we need to be having for sustainable health. So a lot of times I'm like, let's get off there. I do. I tend to eat light, lighter lunches and like snacks because I don't want to feel like full and like gross during the day. Like I just feel better when I haven't eaten like big meals And I don't know in my head, it's not so much about saving calories. It's like, I want dinner to be more exciting and like the big meal of the day. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's very American of us. Yeah. That's that's how we live here. Like like, dinner's our big hearty meal. Like that's just kind of ingrained in a lot of us. Tell us about the, um, tell us about the group training you have in July. Yeah. So, um, kind of, you know, they didn't know it, but they were my experiment, my Boston ladies, and it was an experiment gone very, very right. Um, so we met every week for like a live, um, nutrition education. So in my former life, I did a lot of large scale group nutrition education. And that's like, I love it. That's my passion. I love helping people one-on-one, but like the group dynamic and the group think we learned so much more from being surrounded by people who are trying to do the same thing we are. So not only are they learning from me each week and each topic like builds upon performance nutrition. So by the end, like you're basically a little expert yourself. Um, But then when other people ask questions, you're learning from, from them. So you're, People are asking questions you didn't think to ask. So you're also learning from that end. And then you're building this group and support and camaraderie. And it's just absolutely wonderful. So 
my little experiment went right. Thank you, ladies. Um, so we're going to do another group in July, but this one's not going to be specific to um, any specific race. So we all were running Boston. So we did that. Mm -hmm. But this one will just be for people running either a full marathon or even a half marathon. I think it's very applicable to both, truthfully. So um, we start in July and we'll end like the second week of September. Okay. So hopefully we'll catch people so that, you know, whenever their race is in the fall, we'll get all that education in. We'll be applying it through hot summer training um, to, you know, really figure out how do we support this. Um, and then it's possible I might do one again later in the summer to catch like those later races sure. like CIM and Houston and stuff. But um, that's up on my website, the July one. Um, so very excited to to get another group rolling. Yeah, it's so much more fun to do anything with a group. So fun. I had a blast too. So uh, get ready. <laughs> so the picture you you all took, uh -huh. it, that was people from all over the country. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. And someone from Switzerland too. Oh, yeah, that's they were, awesome. They were all over the place. Yeah. I California, it. Florida. It was hilarious to train through the winter together because everyone's weather was so different. Yeah. So there was a lot of us from like, you know, up north and up into like the New England area. Um, but then there was a lot in Florida. So we were talking very different strategies here for 70 degree runs and negative 10 degree runs. So it was kind of cool. Um, well, what's something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? I want to write a real cookbook. So we did an e-cookbook recently, but like I have always wanted to have like a real hardback buy on Amazon like cookbook to help people because I think... I'm like such a sucker for like, just, I just want to help people, you know? And I think I realize how helpful it can be to know what to do and what to eat and have the suggestions. And so that would absolutely be my thing. I love that. And I think that there's a need for it. You know, I know Shalane has her cookbooks, but um, there's been a couple other runner cookbooks, but like, I think there's a need for this like high performance training cookbook. I don't know if that's where you're going with it, but yeah. Yes. And I think I have a little bit of a different take on what balanced nutrition looks like for a runner. Um, and I worked with enough people to know what people aren't doing and what they need to do. So I think like this could be very, very effective and like a very good use of people's money to purchase a cookbook because I think it could just help not only what am I eating tonight, like, a, you know, from a cookbook level, but like elevate that to really help people figure out how to eat for performance if they don't want to you know, work one on one or, you know, things like that. Um, what are your big dreams for your business? The business is Featherstone Nutrition. What are, do you have like big like pipe dreams? So I boggle back and forth about what I want to do, but yes, I want to be able to reach more people. So I have a very, very big wait list right now for one-on-one. -on -one, and honestly, it keeps me up at night. Like I hate that I can't help everybody who needs help right now. So my, my big dreams would be to figure out how to scale to be able to help more people. I just can't decide exactly the mechanism with which I want to do that yet. <laughs> I mean, that's a good problem to have, to have a wait list for the one-on-ones. But that's, that's you know, I think like you said, the scale, like that's what you're doing with the group coaching. Right, right. That's step one, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like those are your, that's your option. And then like, other than that, like hiring a staff or something. Mm -hmm. And whether it's like hiring more people to do what I do or whether it's like creating some sort of bigger system to be able to expand, you know, expand my reach without as high touch or yeah. That's so hard too, because you have such a specific like viewpoint and like yeah. what you believe to be true about training and nutrition and all that, like finding someone that really lines up with how you view this. Right. And I've built a brand around me, right? So how do you scale a brand of you 
to others. Like that's where that's the hold up, right? So hard. Do you it do is. all your social media? Do you hire any of that out? So I do. I, I I do kind of a one woman show over here until very recently. My best friend of life that I met in nutrition school. Um, I recently brought her on, and she has been a lifesaver. She's doing a lot of the back end type stuff. I call her my business manager. She calls herself my assistant. She is way more than assistant. <laughs> she is absolutely managing me at some at points. Um, so she has done a little bit of my social media lately, and it's so funny because her posts. You know, I'll tell her like what kind of content I want and stuff, but her stuff does so well because oh, I think great. sometimes I, yeah, I think I complicate things sometimes and she keeps things a little more simple. Um, so it's been really fun to kind of just watch just the different dynamics and responses you get from certain things. Do you do the graphics or does she? We have a shared Canva, so okay. we do them both through that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's like I always think of um, really funny what I think are funny ideas for my podcast for parents on on Instagram. Like I'm like, oh, this would be such a great reel. But I'm like, I am not going to spend two hours like figuring out how to put it together and like which I know I'm I'm like you said you were doing like I'm overcomplicating it. But I'm just like, I just need to tell someone the idea and then then do it. (laughs) Right. Right. You need that. You need a Katie. <laughs> totally. Oh, there's so many thoughts I have on that. But um, okay. What is an accomplishment you're most proud of? I haven't been asking that question recently because I feel like a lot of times we cover it, but I don't think we yeah. necessarily covered that. You know, I feel like I got to keep this in the cookbook realm. So I was the pickiest eater as a child. I went through a phase where I would only eat plain lettuce with a side of Caesar dressing. I went through a phase where I would only eat mozzarella cheese sticks and French fries. Like I, it was bad. Like, I don't know how my mom put up with me, quite frankly. So the fact that I went from that as a child to eating everything on the planet and putting out cookbooks and recipes for people, I feel like that might be one of the biggest accomplishments ever. I mean, my brother was like, wait, who are you? Like, he's like, I grew up with you and you eat what? (laughs) Like you're doing what? Like, I still don't think he believes that like, this is authentically me. What am I doing here? So I feel like that was probably a huge accomplishment. Um, that gives me hope because of what my kids eat on the daily and one in particular, like I think Mm -hmm. the only things he eats are granola bars, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, cereal and pasta noodles that are plain. Like I, I can't, he will eat smoothies and I do sneak nutrition into my smoothies, but like that, that's it. I've got one too. I've got one too. How do you handle that? I always like moms that are like, or dads or whatever, that are like, um, oh, we just serve dinner and like, that's what our whole family eats. And like, that's their only option. I'm like, okay, right. But like, I need my kids not to be hangry and like, I need them to eat before bed so they don't wake me up in the middle of the night or whatever. Um, So like a lot of times I just pretty much just like peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like for anybody not eating this meal, peanut butter and jelly Mm -hmm. sandwich. What do you do? Right. Right. So I think, you know, I did everything quote unquote right by the books. I mean, this kid ate beets and yogurt and chia seeds. I mean, he ate everything. He ate sardines out of a can as a kid, you know, and then once they're two and a half and they can exert their own preferences, he was like, heck no, you know? So at that point, like you have to kind of let them be engaged in this. And to your point, like if they don't have many things to eat, I always just make sure his plate always has a fruit, a vegetable, some sort of protein with carbs. If that's breaded chicken nuggets, it's breaded chicken nuggets, but he's got his fruit, he's got his vegetable and he gets to choose how much he wants to eat, what he wants to eat. But 
if he's not eating that, like, we're not going to eat ice cream before bed. You know what I mean? Like, this is first. We eat our dinner first if we're hungry. Um, what vegetable, so, though? Like, yeah. I, there's no vegetable that I can get this child to eat. The only time you eat a vegetable is if I put spinach in the smoothie. Right, right. Which that's a good start is to do things like that. But then also I noticed like I would just keep putting it on his plate. And if he chose not to eat it, I'm like, don't eat it. And then one day he decided he liked cucumbers. I think it took like a year and a half of putting a cucumber on his plate a couple times a week. And he eventually decided that he would eat it. And now he'll always eat carrots, you know, so I just keep the exposure is huge. I mean, if you look at the research, like the more kids expose, even if they don't touch it and you don't have to fight them to touch it, you know, because nobody wants that at dinner time. No one has the patience for that by dinner time, (laughs) you know, but even if it's just like there and they might throw a fit, like, why is this on my plate? Move it, put it somewhere else if you don't want it. That's it. Can't Um, be on the plate. But it works. Eventually it works. It can get a little bowl (laughs) next to the plate. Exactly. We have sectioned plates for that exact reason. Like can't touch and yeah. Carrots are the one vegetable that three of my four will eat. And one, my yeah. my seven-year-old man, he is like, he's a good eater. Like he will try mm-hmm. most things, which to me just shows you like, I didn't do much different, you know, right. with not, the four. Not nurturing. It's just genetics in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I do think I got way lazier with the last two as far as like, putting just putting Cheerios on their like high chair you know like I'm like doing a million other things um but like my older to my oldest for sure I like gave him like I did the puree you know everything myself and my second eats better than him so I you know there's no real answer right do the best you can don't beat yourself up about it exposure that's all that's my only advice okay (laughs) all right chopping up cucumbers tonight right (laughs) uh what's the best most recent book you've read Oh gosh. So this is always my New Year's resolution is to read more. I just, I feel like what I read, I'm like, I learned so much from that. I need to do this more often. And then, you know, life is so busy and all I want to do is sleep and I fall asleep after I read a page. So I don't read as much as I want to is my point there. Um, But two different books that I read over the last year that I thought were just so thought provoking were both related to performance and my nerdy side. But one was called Endure and the other was called Peak Performance. And I felt like I pulled a lot of like research and, you know, mental tactics. And then also when people talk about nutrition, I just love to hear how other people are describing it. So um, both of those books I thought were were pretty good. Who's peak performance? Is that Steve oh, Magnus? Is it or is it Fitzgerald? It is somebody that, hold on, let me. Somebody that we all know. It is. Yeah, it is. I know Indoor is Alex Hutchinson, right? You're right. Steve Magnus. Yep. Steve Magnus. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Brad Stolberg. Yep. Oh, and Brad. Okay. Yeah. 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 I've, I actually have read that book. I, I could not finish indoor. I just, it was too, Uh-oh. it was too smart for me. <laughs> this is why I didn't get a dietetic no. internship, Megan. That was so competitive when you were saying that before. Oh, dietetic inter- that was very stressful. I agree. <laughs> uh, who's someone fun, motivating or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea or cocktail with? You know, I, I think because of the recent exposure, I've, really have to pick Kira D'Amato because I feel like she might be one of the most relatable runners out there. I mean, she is genuinely shocked when she sets American records, right? She has two young kids, which is so relatable for me and she works, you know? And so we were staying at the Sheridan in Boston and I walked in, I think it was on marathon day 
And she was sitting there talking to two people, which I think one of them might have been like her Nike person or something. And she was crying as they were giving her like a set of shoes. And then I saw something on Instagram. I'm like, I saw that happen. And I literally was almost interrupted. And I'm like, Megan, don't be that person. Like, let her be. Let her have her moment. So I went upstairs and I came back down to see if she was still there. And she wasn't. So I feel like I just like didn't want to be like that crazy stalker. But also like, I just think she's freaking amazing. I took my daughter up to watch her in the 5K. Like the corner of the 5K was like right by our hotel. And I'm like, Sloan, you're going to get to see Kira D'Amato. Like she's got the American record in the marathon, like getting her all pumped up. She's like, mom, I'm cold. I'm yeah, cold. Of course. Back. I was like, oh, I thought you were going to think this was way cooler than you did, but clearly it's just me. <laughs> oh, I love it. What would, was she crying about? Just like the shoes? I think they gave her, yeah, some new personalized pair of shoes or something. Okay. And she was just like totally touched by it. She had a post on it or maybe something okay. in her story. I was like, oh, that's what was happening. <laughs> no, I totally agree with you on Kara. She is just like, she's almost like, sometimes you feel that these super high professional athletes are um, hard to touch. You know what I mean? For lack of a better term, like, is this really, even if I have a conversation with you, is this like really real, you know? And she's just, she's just her. Like, I don't, that's, she that hasn't changed. That why I picked her. Cause I was like, like, I feel like you could just sit down and just immediately have fun instead of feel like intimidated, like having a cocktail with someone or being nervous about it. Like, I feel like I'd pull up a bar stool right next to her and be like, Hey Kara, what's up? <laughs> like, and it would just roll. My favorite thing about her is that when she was like on the progression to get to where she is, she knew all along that like she had it in her. But she just also knew that like she had to like take the steps to get there. And like n- none of us knew. None of us would have guessed yeah. a year and a half ago like, oh, she's going to go break the freaking American record. But she like had this knowledge in her head that she knew what she was capable of. And it's so cool to see that happen. And like she executed it and did it. And don't you think that comes with being a little bit older? Yeah, too? yeah. I feel like you just get so much more self-assured and confident and self-aware, right? to have that determination and grit to get that done. And I just, I wonder sometimes like if the time off she took getting back into it, you know, like if that mentally was a big piece of that success too. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, I don't know how she does everything she does. I really don't. <laughs> Super woman. <laughs> uh, last question we ask our listeners here on I'll Have Another is what is your last message to leave with our audience today? Oh, I mean, I got to stay true to form and, Get people to eat enough to fuel for the performance that they that they want to fuel for. I think it's just so common that our nutrition is hindering our performance. And we put so much time and effort into training that let's support that from nutrition instead of let nutrition hinder that. And you can just freaking fly. You know, we've talked a lot about Meg today, but she's a perfect example. Like you can achieve things you never thought possible if you're supportive from all areas of your life. And nutrition is obviously the piece that I focus on that, you know, I think a lot of people are missing. So just be open to fixing the things that we need to fix to support, you know, our best performance. Awesome. Thank you, Megan. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This was fun. All right, friends, I hope that was super valuable for you. Thank you so much, Megan, for sharing your story and educating us all. You all make sure you go follow Megan Featherstone Nutrition on Instagram. Uh, We have another athlete nutrition series coming out, episode coming out in the series next week. Another one with Anna Turner. She's going to discuss all things fueling for your runs. So a lot of talk about how many carbs per hour and things like that that you should be 
looking at when you are training for longer distance endurance events. Really excited about that one. So make sure you're uh, subscribed to the show so you don't miss it. If you do love this series or anything we're putting out here on All Have Another Podcast or any of our shows in the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network, uh, leaving us ratings and reviews is one of the easiest, freest, most amazing ways you can support the podcast. So we just really appreciate everyone who's already done that. Check out more about this podcast and all the podcasts in our network at sandyboyproductions.com. All right, friends, we will see you this Friday with another episode, just a regular Friday interview episode on All Have Another Podcast. Have a great rest of your day.